Welcome to Reawaken Podcast. I'm Alex Smith. And I'm John Brown. On this program, we like to discuss everyday topics to hot-button issues, as well as some fringe ideas, while maintaining a solid scriptural foundation and a sense of humor. And we really hope that you enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our first ever actual video. Um, As you can see, we're on Zoom, so there may be a bit of delay. I can already see my lips are moving like behind me actually talking. Uh, Try not to pay attention to that. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, so um, also those of you who we may make this a podcast episode as well. So if any of you are listening on a podcast app or something and don't have video the there will be more ums us misspoken words and pauses and stuff like that just kind of comes with the nature of video you can't edit it like audio uh but yeah so today we'll be responding to and refuting a recent video by justin best of the christian truthers And he, inside this video, he postulates that basically we shouldn't be uh, listening to Paul anymore. We shouldn't be using his stuff as scripture. I think he kind of is like, you can use it however you want to use it. It's just not scripture. So um, I just also realized my glasses are reflecting the window in the background. So I apologize for that as well. Um, But yeah. You have any thoughts, John? Um, Yeah, I mean... I, the first thing I had heard of this channel or this individual was this video in particular, but yeah. And, and I mean, you look through the comments and there's just hundreds of people that are agreeing with and affirming um, this individual in the video and supporting him in it. So you might think that, well, this is really easy to defend and not worth making a video over. And honestly, I think both of us kind of had that thought at first too, but there are people that are going along with this. So it does need to be addressed. Right. His um, original following, he's lost a lot of followers over this video, which he expected to happen. Um, But I think he originally started out with like 80,000 followers or something like that. So he has much, much less than that now for sure. Um, but yeah, in the past, this, this wasn't for me, this was not my first exposure to Justin Best or the Christian truthers. I have mutual friends with Justin Best just because we're both in the general messianic community, but, uh, no, um, I, in the past, I've always thought his stuff is occasionally a little bit iffy. Um, some of it was really insightful. Some of it was compelling, interesting, this though i to be honest i i have seen very few things that have as many intrinsic issues as far as the academic side goes it's full of fallacies and it's just a although to his credit to his credit here he says at the start of the video i think that basically he's just he's been wanting to do this for a while he just decided to do it on the spur of the moment he grabbed his laptop and his notes and you know started recording so to 
to his credit, this wasn't a super well-prepared thing, but the document he's going off of, I assume he put some time into it. It takes a while to write 50 points. Right. So. Yeah. And I mean, part of that, we'll get into it when the video is actually playing, I guess, but it's like part of it is, you know, if you're going to come out with something this, you know, important, why wouldn't you spend more time? I know he kind of explains that in some later videos where he felt an urgency to present this message, but it does seem kind of hobbled together and meandering for such a heavy topic, but anyway. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, So I guess what we're going to be doing, and because of this, I don't really know how many parts this is going to end up being, to be honest, but we're going to kind of just play the video and go through his video and pause every once in a while to respond to a point or something like that. Uh, So nothing too very fancy. We may share a few scriptures on the screen or anything like that uh, or something like that. But yeah, just so you know what we're looking at here and what we're responding to, uh, I think that's what we're going to end up doing here. But you have any thoughts before I pull that up? Uh, No, I'm ready to go. All right, let's pull that on up. Okay, so first thing that kind of jumps out to me here is he starts off, um, although there are likely hundreds, uh, you can see this, right? Yes. Okay. Um, He says, although there are likely hundreds, um, here's a list of some of the biggest reasons why Paul should not be considered scripture. This cracks me up because John and I both, and anybody else who I've talked to about this, kind of, we kind of agree on this much. Um, if you cannot come up with 50, I, I doubt you can come up with, uh, you know, a hundred hundreds, not, he doesn't even say a hundred, right. he, he, he says hundreds. And it's like, some of these points aren't points. A lot of these points aren't points. Uh, some of these points are like duplicates. Yeah. Duplicates. Exactly. <laughs> the same thing. So, yeah. Right. Right. But yeah. So anyway, uh, so getting started here. So you have a warning. The creepy breathing at the start of this video is not us. That is not us at all. Um, so I just a forewarning. It sounds Maybe a little, little bit. <laughs> right. It sounds a little bit like Darth Vader at first, which I get. We've had it before. I, I always cut it out at the start of our audio and stuff. I get that. It just, it kind of cracks me up that he left in by get uh, videos are harder to edit than audio for sure. Yeah. So anyway, all right, well, let's uh, get started and let's uh, hear what he has to say. And this was a live stream, right? Yep. Shalom, shalom. We are live. Welcome. Thank you for joining me tonight. This is kind of a sort of a seemingly off the cuff live stream. Um, It's not quite off the cuff per se. This has been about two years coming. um, And it's been a very long journey, a very long process. And uh, I I just wanted to be very, very, very patient and very clear uh, before I say anything on this issue. 
because I know the implication. Actually, I do want to go ahead and just stop it there. That's part of what John and I are talking about here. I, I, we, well, we don't really get how it's been a two-year process, and I get the temptation of wanting to just throw something together real quick, especially if it's weighing heavily on you. But, I mean, it's just, I mean. Yeah, if you're doing something as drastic as throwing out, you know, right, like right. two-thirds of the New Testament, you know, maybe spend some more time getting your notes together and presenting right. like a clear, coherent message. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's kind of. That's kind of what I'm getting at there. It just it doesn't quite make sense that you would have so many duplicates and fallacies if it's been a two-year process. So anyway. And supposedly, well, he mentions this later, but he had people like review this with him mm -hmm. and like test this information before he went forward and made this video. Right, right. Yeah. Yep. In fact, I've spent the last year alone just weighing the implications alone. Um, so about two years ago, I, uh, I stumbled across some teaching from some different YouTubers and different websites talking about Paul, or they say Shaul, his real name, being a false apostle. Um, of course, being the, uh, <laughs> the truther that I am, any kind of conspiracy tends to get my attention. I'm always interested to find out what people are saying. Of course, uh, half the time you find out what's being said is not good. It doesn't make sense, doesn't add up, doesn't stack up with the word. And the other half uh, gets pretty interesting sometimes. And I think those are the things that we kind of com come back to. And those are the things we can't really completely let go of, per se. Um, so, like I said, about two years ago, I started looking into this and um, it was so heavy, such a heavy, heavy, heavy topic to discuss because like I said, the implications are so vast. Literally the entire Christian denomination is built on the back of Paul, uh, specifically the Roman Catholic Christianity, which ultimately is the mother of Christianity, is built on the back of Paul. Um, so I know people, uh, when, when even entertaining this idea at all, uh, the first reaction for people is to say, well, you know, you lose Paul, you lose everything. You get rid of Paul, you, you got nothing left. Uh, you get rid of Paul, and next thing you know, you get rid of the entire New Testament. And then next thing you know, the Messiah is gone, and now you're just a Judaizer. Um, and so I, I do want to point out here, he has a big point. The implications are absolutely astounding. He doesn't really bring it up. Well, he does. He kind of alludes to it. The theological implications are pretty crazy because everything isn't based on Paul at all. But if you throw out Paul, then you miss out on a lot of the highlighting of points. Like he, Paul will lay out a point, and then you will see it reflected through all of Scripture. So by throwing out Paul, you miss out on a lot of understanding of the theology that has run through the entire Bible and is right. being highlighted there. But, and in particular, like certain end times type prophetic things, like you'll only find in Paul. You might find it in scripture, but 
you know, there's that whole idea of having two and three witnesses of like a certain doctrine or point in the Bible confirming itself. It's like a lot of that doctrine that we have is dependent on Paul, like honestly. But. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, let's uh, hear more of what he has to say. I wanted to, I wanted to know if that's true before um, speaking about this at all. So about a year ago, we actually conducted a study group, me and a couple brothers who I'm going to leave nameless for now. Um, and we dove into this. I put this question forward. I told them this is something that I've been looking at for about a year at that point. Um, and I wanted to get some objective feedback from brothers who I trust and I care about. And I know they're brothers who will tell me if I'm crazy here or if I'm losing my mind or missing something. And so about a year ago, we did a really deep study on this. And the result of that was a 45-page document that has become uh, lovingly known as the Paul document in our very small circle of those who have discussed this. And um, again, even though that, that document came to some very interesting conclusions, I still didn't want to just come out and start talking about this because, again, I needed to know what's left, what happens, what really happens in, if, if you remove Paul. Is it possible to remove Paul and does it matter? I needed to really prayerfully consider what, it, what, what, what that means, what will happen, you know. So that's what I've been doing for the last year. I've been studying the books that uh, remain and I've been studying Paul. And uh, just to make it clear, I'll come out in the front and just tell you, uh, this is not a trick. This is not clickbait. Um, You know, the scriptures tell us it's folly and shame to answer a matter before you hear it out. And so I have to ask you, brothers and sisters, in Messiah, Yahusha, the Son of the Most High, to hear this out and to prayerfully consider it and to test this. Paul himself actually said that the Bereans were more noble than others because they tested everything he said against the scriptures. And so that, my friends, is what we have been doing and what I have been doing. I mean, so he's taking the account that they tested it and confirmed what Paul was saying. as Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of, to be honest, it's like, he would he wouldn't necessarily i guess be completely laughed out of an actual debate if he was in one but people would really look at him sideways and they would there would definitely be some chuckling for that one because that that is that is pretty humorous i mean it would be a fallacy for me to say let's reject everything this man says based on this one thing that he's saying here but this is this is a little bit uh funny to be honest anyway for quite some time as well so according to paul's own advice he should uh he should be commending me for (laughs) or commending us rather for testing what he says against the scriptures to see if it be true uh so here we are and i want want to just tell you right up front that uh (sighs) essentially you don't 
regardless of how you look at it, no matter who you are, if you're a dispensationalist, if you're a baby Christian, if you're an experienced Christian, if you're a Torah person, no matter who you are, you should be able to understand a very simple concept right up front that uh, Paul is not required for salvation. Nothing he says is required for salvation, unless, of course, you are a uh, full-blooded dispensationalist, nothing Messiah said applies to you, nothing the 12 apostles said applies to you, all that matters to you is what Paul said. If that's really your, your position, then you're going to have a very hard time uh, with this. But even still, I would challenge you to humbly stick around for a little while and see if there's anything, uh, anything here. So, uh, and to his credit here, those people do exist. Uh, people who are basically, I guess you could say Paul only is. So like they, they do what in the world, uh, they, they do say that sort of stuff. So it, it, he has a point there, but anyway, yeah. get started is uh just to be patient be humble be patient with me i'm not perfect um and you know i want to be i strive to be and praise yah we know what standard we are judging that off of um because of his word his tanakh his prophets and his 12 apostles uh so here's what i'm gonna do i i didn't make a script I have some really in-depth notes that's a combination of notes that I made, uh, a close friend of mine made, and then I also have a bullet point list here that I'm going to uh, kind of be going off of, and then I'll be pulling up some new tabs to show you some stuff that we're reading and looking at as we go through here. Um, but I just want to start off by saying, I, I, I've, my whole life I've been, t I've been told, I was in the Christian church my whole life, as you guys know my testimony, of course that Paul is so eloquent and so articulate and such a wonderful, wonderful teacher and speaker. And I have to start off by saying I, I completely disagree with that. Uh, coming from someone who uh, actually was trained to be a former instructor, a formal instructor, uh, going to formal instruction courses. And uh, of course, being an instructor on different levels uh, for the Marine Corps, for combat tactics, for machine gun and machine gun gunnery, uh, for business, and of course now for the last two and a half years for Christian truthers, uh, I have to say I, I completely disagree. Um, the definition of articulate, for example, is to express oneself readily, clearly, and effectively. Uh, I have to say personally, I believe that the reason there's 50,000 Christian denominations is because that this is not the case. Uh, people used to tell me at the end of a class, if you ask everyone, is there any questions? If no one responds to you, it's because either they're not listening at all and they're just glad the class is over. Or B, you taught the class so well that they literally are left with no questions, <laughs> uh, which, is, which is pretty rare. So... Um, I think Paul has left us with more questions and answers uh, in a large way uh, if, if again, we just weigh basic, based off only the confusion, the division, um, 
and just the wide gamut of, of belief sets that exist within the so-called Christian church because of the different things that have been said by Paul. Uh, so I disagree. I don't think he's very clear and effective. I think he's clear as mud and effective at confusing people. That's, that's honestly what I believe. Now, I also want to say this. A year and a half ago, I did a live stream, maybe two years ago, with Adam and uh, a brother named Gavin. And um, it's called Paul, Galatians, and the Truth. And it's actually on the Parable of the Vineyard YouTube channel. And what we did there is we spent a couple hours explaining uh, and defending Paul and defending how Paul, in, if, if read correctly in our minds, if, if read uh, with the right context in our own minds at least, uh, is not teaching against Torah, but in fact, everything he says that seems to be super hyper grace uh, alone is actually a misunderstanding, a confusion of context, confusion of audience. And so we spoke for hours about all the reasons why it can't be possible that Paul was uh, antinomian and against the law, right? So I, I held on to that for as long as I possibly could as I continued to study this. And so now I'm here to uh, humbly... I, mean, I would like to point out before he goes on too much further, and I, I wish I'd pulled this up uh, beforehand because I did know this was here. Uh, this is not my first time through this video, but he talks about, he equates confusion with, obviously confusion is, you know, uh, it, it's a mark of an antichrist or something. I mean, he doesn't say that, but he's essentially saying, you know, uh, we shouldn't be listening to this guy. He's making the argument. We shouldn't be listening to this guy because some of his stuff leaves questions, which is different from confusing. Uh, but uh, I mean, Jesus himself in Matthew, I think there's other places, but in Matthew and I, I need to track it down better, but uh I, I wanted to get this in before we went in too much further. He he gives a parable at one point, and John, you might remember where this is. Afterwards, the disciples all come to him and are like, dude, you were like super, super confusing. We have no idea what you're talking about. Does that invalidate Yeshua as the Messiah because they were confused about it? I mean, he goes on to explain afterwards, but I, I would say... A lot of times Paul is doing something similar. He goes back and tries to, you know, uh, clear up confusion to the best of his ability. But when you're diving into the finer matters of uh, doctrine and theology, it, some confusion is going to happen. Right. It, it just is. Um, and unless you believe that he is perfect 100% of the time, Paul is, I mean, then obviously when he goes and chills with the Corinthians or something, if he says something that confuses them, it's, it's going to happen. Unless he is Yeshua himself, it's going to happen. Right. And even Hebrews says, you know, you know, uh, you know, we're going to have to go back to the elementary things. Like I, I want to go on and teach you all these spiritual things, but we're going to have to go back to the basics here. And it's like, there's a lot of Paul's arguments are very detailed in particular and if you don't follow along with his logic you might get confused but that's not an error on his part necessarily it's just we haven't 
understood, haven't taken the time to, you know, discern what he's saying, basically. Right, right, definitely. And I, I apologize, by the way, folks. Um, uh, I'm still trying to figure out how to uh, use my keyboard keys to mute my, my background noise. Um, yeah, if, if I mute myself, it's because I'm trying to uh, mute the baby crying in the background. <laughs> right, right. Um, hold on. Okay. All right. Let's uh, get back to this, I suppose. Request that you um, forgive me for drawing those conclusions and standing in that position because I no longer believe that to be true. And uh, you're going to see why. I, I really hope that through the process of going through this, you can see that I'm, I hope that you can see that I'm not going crazy here. <laughs> um, I haven't completely and utterly lost my mind. And most importantly, after a year of believing that there's no reason, no good reason for me to study Paul, I can tell you honestly that it doesn't cause me to reject the New Testament completely. It hasn't caused me to reject the Messiah at all. Quite the contrary. I have, uh, I've grown closer and closer to the Word. And it, it, so don't, don't fall for that straw man. Oh, there it is, the Torah guy. Now he's going to, uh, to anti-Paul stuff. So next thing you know, anti-New Testament. Next thing you know, anti-Messiah. Uh, not true. Use, that is technically, just so those of you who are not aware, that is a logical fallacy, by the way. Um, you, like, Slippery slope. Um, right. Well, not, not so much that. Um, the correlation he's making where he's like, notice I've become closer, so therefore this is true. That is right. not... That that is a logical fallacy. I'm blanking on the name at the moment. Um, Post hoc fallacy, I believe. Maybe like maybe maybe uh, I'll have to verify that. But it it is for the record that is a logical fallacy. You do not you do not verify something by the outcome. There is a level of uh, watching to see what fruit it bears and whatnot <laughs> to an extent. But at the same time, I mean, if all the enemy has to do is leave you alone and try to make it appear that your faith has been strengthened by something, if that's all he has to do in order to have you swallow a spiritually fatal pill, you better believe he'll be all over top of that for sure. I'm not saying that that's necessarily what's happening here, but it it's true. Yeah, I mean, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, you know, any group is going to use the same type of argument like oh it strengthened my faith and made draw me closer to god right maybe in your experience you feel like that exactly it's a subjective it's a right. subjective feeling all experience is subjective so anyway any more thoughts before i continue um just that in arguing against whether paul is articulate he's not very articulate in this video it's anyway. it's true which kind of i don't want to be little because he a lot right. of his videos are really good and he's pretty intelligent so but. right well i thought uh this is an article here by uh david wilbur and 119 ministries has it up i'm not endorsing either one i think in the past i've kind of hinted at that 
Um, I think one nine ministries is pretty cool and all, but I don't agree with them on everything. But anyway, like I think that Paul Wilbur got down, <laughs> Paul Wilbur, David Wilbur uh, got down to um, a, a, a point here where, where he's saying this here um, where basically essentially nobody is perfect. Uh, Paul's, imperfection regarding the messiah's standard of perfection does entail that he should not that he should be considered a false prophet i think that kind of comes down it's kind of the root issue of this video if i had to just give one is that a lot of the supposed a lot of the ones that are actually not fallacies or repeats of previous points are this it's um usually delving into that Paul is an imperfect human. And we see that reflected through scripture just because just because the stuff he wrote was inspired doesn't mean that in the off time when he's saying whatever he wishes to say or whatever, that he is still perfect and inspired in that time. Right. And that goes for all of the apostles. Otherwise, they would be perfect humans like Yeshua. So... In fact, I've been believing uh, what I believe about Paul for, like I said, over a year, and yet I continue to fight the fight against the anti-Messiah teachers online. And uh, I have a, another great book called 150 Reasons, or 150 Fulfilled Prophecies of the Messiah. It's an awesome read. The Messiah is real and true, and that is not the, he is not the author of confusion. I, uh, I hate to say it, but I believe that that, title falls to Paul. So I want to start off with sort of a, an example of the kind of stuff we're going to be looking at tonight um, and just give you a little taste of what kind of information I want to share with you so you can, you know, you can see that this is not, this is not a stretch. I'm not stretching anything to try and make this, I don't, I don't have an agenda here. In fact, I don't want to do this. For the longest time, I haven't wanted to do this. My wife and I and friends who I've shared some of this information with over the last months have been encouraging me to to take the leap. Um, and I, in, in one sense, I want to do what's right and what's true, no matter what it costs me, even if it costs me all of my subscribers. And even if I'm public enemy number one, I want to, I want to serve in that way. Um, but at the same time, I don't look forward to the amount of uh, chaos that will that will certainly ensue as a result of this video. Uh, so I'm probably going to bring a lot of haters out of retirement to come make some uh, Christian Truthers Exposed videos, and that's perfectly okay with me. So I'm not going to actually start on number one. I want to start with... In our defense, we're not coming out of retirement on here, <laughs> so it, that, this doesn't really apply to us, but... Anyway, and we don't hate him. Yeah, exactly. It, we don't. We don't. And that's something that's important to bring up here. I think we aren't doing this because we're like, you know, uh, stone him. Although, I mean, if you live during a different time that, uh, uh, anyway, uh, uh, no, it, it really is important to bring up that I, that this is really a, attempt at edification 
I'd love if he listened to this and heard it. Um, he doesn't even have to listen to it all, to be honest. I just hope in some way, if he does listen to this, it sharpens him in some way. That's what I do truly hope here. And I hope that anyone who has listened to his, I'm, I mean, I'm just going to call it from, from where I'm at, this is absolute heresy. Um, so anyone who has listened to his heresy, I, I do hope that they reconsider if they should be watching this video. Uh, but anyway. Uh, some really interesting stuff from Second Timothy. And of course, um, I want to read you this verse also before I, before I jump in here is Habakkuk 2, 1 through 3. It says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Write, and Yahuwah answered me, write the vision make it plain on the tablets so he may run who reads it for still the vision awaits its appointed time it hastens to the end it will not lie if it seems slow wait for it it will surely come it will not delay amen and what uh interesting timing but this this is what a good teacher does brothers and sisters and okay, you might so going back to previous point here uh, just a reminder, again, Yeshua was perceived as confusing. I would, I would postulate my understanding here is that it is talking about he who actually, you know, reads it. Not necessarily him who just, you know, hears it on the surface, him who digs into it and figures it out. I mean, I've never been, excuse me, I've never really been challenged about what Paul has to say because I, I keep on digging and figuring the situation out. It, if you dig in, then it should clear it up, which is exactly what we see in that verse I was referring to earlier where the disciples are confused and, and you know, he, he makes it clear to them. They could have just kind of pushed off to the side if they wanted, but anyway, that's just some thoughts on there. not put me into that category and honestly that's okay but this is what a good teacher does is he makes things plain on the tablets so that he who reads it may understand and run amen so let's go ahead and jump straight into uh again this is kind of off the cuff i'm not super duper uh, set up here i don't have like a million tabs open or nothing like that but I'm just going to walk you through some stuff. Okay, to save time, we're going to just kind of skip through here to the best of my ability. Let's see, are we at? Um, this one seems a bit shorter, so I actually may go back. I'm not super duper uh, set up here. I don't have like a million tabs open or nothing like that. But I'm just going to walk you through some stuff. And we're going to start with 2 Timothy. 115 and just read you this verse here it says you are aware that all who are in asia turned away from me this is paul speaking you're aware that all who are in asia turned away from me among whom are phagellus and hermogenes amen okay so why is it significant that 
everyone in Asia turned away from Paul. He mentions this two times, that everyone in Asia turned away from him. Uh, let's let's take a look and see why that's that's relevant. If we uh, look at the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 4. I'm just doing ESV for ease of use. It's easy to read. Of course, no version is perfect. So uh, feel free to jump into the Greek and Hebrew on this stuff. And please test all of the Obviously, the ESV is perfect, but, you know, beyond that. Um, but no, I, I do want to point out here, like, he, um, this is actually point, like, five or something like that, I think. I don't really know why he's hopping into it now. Yeah, it actually forms a foundation of, like, his, I think, I think he went into it first because, like, it, it, it kind of forms the foundation of a lot of his points and a lot of his thinking that all of the church in Asia rejected him. So like, that's pretty heavy is what he's saying, um, which I think we can respond to that after he reads it or whatever, but. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Yep. This please, 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 please do. I've had several brothers test this with me for me and uh, yeah. Revelation 1.4 says, Greeting to the seven churches. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. This is the churches, this is the area that Paul said rejected him and kicked him out. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Let's move forward. I'm going to go ahead and pull up the whole chapter here, actually. I think we need a little bit more of this. 111. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. All right. And then 120. It says, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and for the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, you're going to start to see why this is important here. The seven churches that are written... Uh, two that are being addressed in the book of Revelation are all in Asia. All the churches were, according to Revelation, genuine churches who are following the Messiah. Some better than others, as we see, some are blessed and some are given some correction here. But one thing that seemed to have, they all seem to have in common is that they, is, is that they rejected Paul. Because Paul is very clear that all those in Asia had turned against him. Further, the verse in 2 Timothy said, this you know. So this suggests that this was not hidden or uncommon knowledge. The word of the occurrence likely reached Timothy before the letter was written. Thus the phrasing here. Okay, so I'm not going to go back to that real quick. Um, I just want to point out something very specific here. Acts 19.1. Keep moving here. I'm trying not to belabor this. I'm trying to make this uh, as smooth and simple as possible. But again, I didn't write out a script this time. I just... Got my notes, and I want to just start walking through it with you. Okay. Paul in Ephesus. This is the church in Ephesus, right? And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. All right. Now let's go to 19. You'll see what all this adds up to here in just a second. It's, it's not rocket science. It's just I want to give you some context here. And Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of 
Yah. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him. This is not the 12 disciples, this is Paul's disciples. Reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of Adonai, both Jews and Greeks. All right. Now, let's see here. Let's just get straight to the point. Let's just go ahead and not belabor this anymore. Revelation. I do want to go ahead and point out here, um, because I, I made a note of this during my initial sin through. He says, like, his own disciples, like, it's a bad thing. Uh, the word being used there literally means, like, a pupil or a student. So, like, do we not have pupils and students in our own day? We should all be children of God trying to learn scripture and whatnot. But, I mean, if you go to school, if you go to college, if you go to seminary, any of that, you're, you are a disciple. Uh, right. if, if you want to go by the literal meaning here. So there's, this is, um, and you're going to see this a lot. I'm going to talk, use this term a lot. Um, this is a uh, false dilemma. So he's saying, you know, disciples, and then he's making you assume here, therefore that's bad. When you have no context to even assume that's bad. Right. So, and this whole notion about him being rejected by everyone in Asia is just, it's wrong. It's completely incorrect. Um, you know, he's not saying everyone in, reject, in Asia rejected him. This is after his imprisonment. And it, he's saying those that were from Asia abandoned me. He doesn't say that they rejected him. Right. So, I mean, it explains further. He, re he read Second um, Timothy uh, 1.15, um, but Second Timothy 4.16 further kind of reiterates this, and it says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. So he's calling out these individuals that were from Asia that had left him. And Timothy, by the way, is in Ephesus, one of the Asian churches. So, right. Anyway. And, and, and like I said, this forms a foundation of a number of his points and kind of his whole thinking in this regard. It's just kind of sad, the lack of, you know, the actual study that he put into that one verse where he says the people in Asia, quote, rejected him, which not, is not what it says. But. Right. Yeah, and honestly, it, like John just said, Ephesus, I mean, he Paul nurtured the church in Ephesus. That's one of the churches in Asia. So, yeah, and if you go to Acts 18, 20, 21, um, the church in Ephesus was begging him to stay. So if they are so, you know, spiritual and able to discern these false, false apostles, you know, why are right. they begging him to stay? Right. And he's about, has he quoted from Revelation again? I mean, uh, not yet, or is he about to? He did already, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that quote there, it, it's a broad generalization. The verse does not say you have tested every teacher ever. 
it just said you have tested teachers. I mean, it's, it's a broad generalization to say, unless you're assuming, assuming they're absolutely perfect in every area of this, then I mean, you, you just, you can't, there's nothing in the scripture there that should really lead anyone to believe that the scripture is basically saying, Hey, good job for rejecting every single, assuming Paul was rejected, which he wasn't um, assuming he w was rejected. It, it doesn't praise him for every single one in all of history, but right. So everyone in Asia rejected Paul, specifically the church of Ephesus here. Let's read what yeah, this is what I was talking about. the Messiah says to the church of Ephesus. I thought so too. It says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. All right, so it goes on to say that he has something against them, etc., etc. But most importantly, it says that they tested those who call themselves apostles, but are false. They are not apostles. So this is the church in Asia. Where Paul was that, that's the broad generalization. If you guys did not pick up on that by now, that's it doesn't say every single. I mean, it just it, it's praising them for doing what they did. They tested who knows how many of them and were not. Uh that that's good. That's good. But it doesn't say every single unlike we already said, he wasn't rejected by Asia. So this is a this is a non argument. kicked out of specifically and this church is being co co uh, basically given accolades for kicking out false apostles so my question is who is that false apostle if not paul himself this is one of the this is just one of the many 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 types of arguments that we find against paul uh whether it be historical doc or, or um doctrinal or contradict, contradictive type speech, things like that. We're gonna get into more here. Um, and there's something else I wanna say on this before I move on to jump into my list and really start going down that and knocking it out for you. Uh, yeah, I think I'll just, you know what? Yeah, we'll go ahead and jump into this too. Well, there's another, another really important one here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Oops. If you need Eight. to hit the arrow key, it'll skip like five seconds or whatever while he's looking these up. Food offered to idols. This is um, or it'll like I... spaz out and ruin everything. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, yeah. So everyone, I don't know if we will have uh, cut out the that part there. Um, but if we did, we just uh, had some technical <laughs> issues real quick. Um, but yeah, anyway, so we're back basically where I've went ahead and skipped ahead to where he was going to. So, all right. This is a big deal. We might as well just leave Revelation open, right? We're going to need that again. First Corinthians chapter eight. Let's read this verse four. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, 
we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no Elohim but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many, quote, gods and many, quote, lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, in whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Adonai, Yahusha HaMashiach, of course, Paul actually is speaking about Jesus Christ, so I might as well say that, through whom all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak, and this is a, a thread we're going to notice too, that you follow your conscience instead of the Torah, uh, this is stoicism, this is like follow your heart type stuff. Their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to Elohim. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours, this right of yours to eat whatever you want, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So you're, you're weak if you refuse to eat food sacrificed to idols. You're weak, okay? Revelation 2. Let's go back to that. Verse 14. The, to the church in Pergamum, also in Asia. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Yasharel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So here we have two smoking gun examples, just right in the beginning of Paul saying that he was kicked out of Asia. None of the churches in Asia welcomed him anymore. And then, of course, Messiah himself commended the churches in Asia for kicking out false apostles. It's, there's no other false apostles that we are, are uh, very well aware of that were in that area and that were kicked out other than Paul and his friends, uh, Barnabas and, and uh, Priscilla, Aquila, those people, the, the, the disciples he created himself. Second, he says that it's not a big deal if you eat food sacrificed to idols. And in fact, if you avoid eating food sacrificed to idols, it's because you have a weak conscience. Quite the contrary, the Messiah, who still holds to his Torah, which is eternal and true, says that this is a grave sin, that anyone would eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. We'll get into the sexual immorality part of this, uh, and you'll see how that ties in in a little bit, because... Uh, would you consider, generally speaking, based on what you know from truth or topics, would you consider uh, those in the, uh, in the role of the priesthood, in the Catholic tradition especially, who have specifically abstained from marriage? In fact, they've been told not, they cannot be married, and uh, based, that's based off Paul's teachings, which says it's better not to be married. Um, have they or have they not been engrossed in all kinds of scandal surrounding this topic? That's just something to consider. I believe. Yeah, so this is actually technically the 36th point. I just looked it up. This is point 36 on his list. This Maybe. is, I don't know. It just, it, it, it kept confusing me when I, jumped in here because the dude takes forever to get around the point the first point and by then he's already gone through a few points 
Right. He includes number 24 in there as well. And then the one about sexual immorality, which I'm not sure which one that is. But so there's like three that are lumped in here in this little initial preface, which he hasn't even gotten into his list yet, technically, yeah. like in yeah. order. But no, that's what I'm saying. And then 37 is the one on marriage. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I like uh, David Wilbur's response to this. I didn't actually right. write one out because it's kind of a complicated issue. It is a little bit, I'll give him that, is a little bit confusing when you read it. For but sure. the whole idea is that Paul isn't saying, yeah, go ahead and eat food sacrificed to idols. It's no big deal. That's, that's not what he was saying. It's, there's, mm -hmm. it's a very complicated situation where you're dealing with a Gentile nation where food is going to be available in the markets that might have been offered to an idol. And then you have the whole idea about the temple being like social places, basically, where people gather and eat. And so he's basically saying like, look, even though you're not eating food that's offered to an idol, like don't be seen there because someone might think, oh, he's eating food offered to an idol. I can do that too. And then his conscience being weak is defiled, et cetera. I mean, there's layers to this, but there, there is the whole idea of the, the food that you buy in the market isn't, it might've been offered to an idol, but you don't know that. So you just give thanks to God and you eat it anyway. And I think that's, that's not what the Torah was talking about when it said, don't eat food offered to an idol. It's like, that was a, a fellowship kind of covenant thing eating like we we think of it mm -hmm. today as just you know you're filling your belly but like that was kind of a like even jesus when he was invited to someone's home to eat like that was a sign of fellowship that wasn't just hey come on over and have some food right. you know so there's a lot more to it than we understand with our modern view so it, there, it does require some digging into mm -hmm. definitely all right. Yeah, I don't really have too much to add to that. But um, yeah, I I also did. I I agree with John here. I thought it was a that David Wilbur wrote a extremely good response to this, and he actually um, he he refers to a few other teachers on it and whatnot. I I think it's pretty thorough. So again, I'll, I'll try to. Or I, I guess uh, when this is on YouTube, we could easily include the link down yep. below. So That'll be in the description for sure. Right. Yeah. So we'll link over to that just so you kind of have an idea of some of the stuff we're talking about. I, I actually, I went through this and kind of uh, developed my own refutations before I even knew he had written anything like that. So it was actually kind of nice because he definitely explained some of this stuff way better than I did for sure. But yeah, I did it. I had my notes before I read his as well, just so I didn't like have that. Like, right. Yeah. Like, was that my thought or was that his thought? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But like anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. have and i believe it is because of the abstinence that they're forcing upon themselves i think that's a big stumbling block for them um of course uh you know what i think um we'll go ahead and jump right into that real quick since we're here first corinthians we'll go to chapter seven here but these are kind of all in the same place so i want to just hit these at once since we're here first corinthians chapter seven verse 26 it says I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? 
Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. That's literally contrary to Torah. Right there in the book of Genesis, it says it is not good for a man to be alone. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. He's saying, oh, it's really not good to get married. You're going to have a lot of trouble getting married. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. So ignore your wife? I'm not really sure what that's supposed to mean. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, etc., uh, etc. Et um, of course, in another place, Paul says that he himself is single, and he wishes that everyone would be single like him. Um, again, that is completely contrary to Torah. In fact, not only is it in Genesis, but it also... Um, I don't have the verse off the top of my head. I'll have to pull it up in a little while. It says that when you're in Babylon, to get married, to plant gardens, and to become established in Babylon while you're there. Um, that, of course, goes along with, again, the teachings of the Torah. It's not good for a man to be alone, and it is a blessing to have a wife. A great blessing. Okay, so just going ahead and bringing this up. This one really gets me because this one is, and I think he says later on in the video that, you know, people might be like, oh, he's reaching for points now and stuff like that. I'm sorry, bro, but I mean, you literally took this all out of context. And in verse six of the same chapter, he prefaces the entire thing with now as a concession, not a command, I say this. So all of this, even from the start, is kind of, it's just basically it's just Paul talking. He prefaces it with just so you know, I'm just talking here. So but the situation was complicated. I mean, the place where they lived, they were going out. If you went out, it was like I mean, some of America's starting to get pretty bad, but like as you stroll down the road, there would be temple prostitutes just everywhere just trying to seduce men to go into the temple and not just men, but it, it's, it's a complicated subject to start with. And then he prefaces the entire thing with, by the way, as I say this, this isn't even that this is just a concession on a command, but. Right. And I would have like two points to this one, Paul encourages people to get married. He specifically commands younger widows should get married. And he says, in another place, if you burn, it is better to marry. And, and number two, Matthew 19, um, verses 10 and on. I think this is important because Messiah basically says the same thing. And so his entire point is invalidated because obviously he believes in Messiah's words. But... Um, he says, if, if such is the case of a man with his wife, this is the disciples, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. So, I mean, the whole idea of making yourself a eunuch, you're basically committing to never marry. So there you go. Right. 
Yeah. That, that's definitely a good point. But, yeah, and I think he, in a second, I think he also, I want to say there is a place here in a second where he basically, if you go back, I'll, I'll see if I spot, but anyway, yeah. Blessing. So why is Paul encouraging people to not get married? And does that contribute to the sexual immorality we see in the Catholic Church and, and other churches where they think it's best for people to not get married? I think it is a contributing factor. All right, so let's go ahead. That's just a little bit of a little taste of what we're looking uh, Correlation does not equal causation, by the way. I'm just uh, pointing that out real quick. But can I hear tonight? Let me go ahead and I'm gonna go back to the top of my list here and pull my notes up and we'll keep moving forward. It looks like the chat is blowing up. I'm uh, just to be straight. I'm not going to be monitoring the chat too much because I know there's going to be a lot of uh, craziness in there. A lot of questions, maybe even some angry people. Uh, moderators, if you are not down with this and you really don't feel comfortable moderating this stream i completely understand i i'm not mad at you in fact i'm expecting to probably lose half of my subscribers as a result of this and honestly it i, I love you guys and i hope that doesn't happen but he's actually not too far off because i think like i said earlier i'm pretty sure they started out before this with like 80 something thousand people and now they're down to like 45 but the other ministry he has has not taken the hit to my knowledge. So there is that. So there are people, still quite a few people being objected to. As it is, 40,000 people is, and that's part of why we're doing this. 40,000 people is a lot of people who are still hearing this. But. Right. And, and I guess to add to that, if you look at the videos, the thumbs up and thumbs down, it's really like at least half I'm thinking I you have it pulled up, right? I could, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, so if you yeah. I mean, oh like only half of the people that thumbs up it thumbs down. So it's a third there. Uh two thirds right. like it basically. So right. Yeah. Which is way too much of a majority in my opinion. But anyway. Right. Um, man, I, I literally have no choice. This is, this has been eating at me literally for a long time and what a perfect time to do it too. For me, tomorrow is the last day of unleavened bread. Um, and it's a Shabbat for us as well. And so what a great way to really apply that, at least in my mind, to remove the leaven of the Pharisees who Paul, by the way, boasted that he is the Phariseeist of most of the Pharisees. So I think it's a good time to uh, go ahead and, and point out some of the leaven that he introduced to our thinking and show you why we should start questioning some of this stuff. Okay, so Paul's testimony is, of his conversion is inconsistent at best and has very close resemblance to the conversion of Joseph Smith and Muhammad. So just so you know, there are, I believe, three different times Paul tells a story about his conversion or the the story of Paul's conversion is told and in each of those there is a different version of exactly how many people were there did they get blinded did they get deaf did people hear things did people not hear things every version literally is different um, 
On top of that, he saw a, a bright light, a bright blinding light. Uh, there are no witnesses to this. He claims that there are people with him. Someone fell off a horse or something. And, and one of the stories talks about people hearing stuff but not seeing. And some people talk, some of it says none of them saw anything. The point is, um, that's the same thing that happened with Joseph Smith. He saw an angel in the woods. He was by himself uh, the first time. This angel gave him divine inspiration, divine revelation, told him he is a new apostle. Specifically, he told him he was a new apostle of the Latter-day Saints of the New Age. Of uh, He was going to bring back the apostolic powers. And it was an angel of light that told him this. And do I believe that really happened? Yeah, I do. I believe Joseph Smith did see those things just like Paul. And of course, the story of Muhammad is very similar as well. An angel gave him divine inspiration and revelation, which went on to create a huge schism, a huge new belief set. Um, so again, I'm not going to, just for time purposes, I'm not going to pull up all three of the different versions of Paul's conversion, but I encourage all of you to look that up. Uh, the conversion of Paul, the story of Paul on the road to Damascus. Again, sometimes there's, uh, well, there's, there's just inconsistencies all throughout. I'm trying to see if I have some notes here. I'll, I'll, let me pull up one or two real quick, just since. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, we'll get to the examples here in a second, which for the most part are perceived contradictions and whatnot. But I would like to point out, this is not technically an argument at all. It, it really isn't. This is what is usually referred to as a ad hominem fallacy. It's more going after his personal character, and I, I guess not necessarily calling him a liar than anything else. Um, but he has he brought up that angel thing. He has no reason to outright reject the stories of Joseph Smith and Muhammad off of the whole angel thing because he rejects Galatians, which is where it talks about, you know, even if a angel brings you another gospel. So I, I fully concede, I fully understand that he is rejecting them based on their teachings. I get that, but he can't reject the stories themselves outright because he is rejecting the part of scripture that makes it so he can throw flags when that happens. But good point. You have anything to say? Um, I would just ask, you know, how many times did the rooster crow? Right? Like we have some minor, minor inconsistencies in the gospels. And it's like, you know, so if someone's relaying the same story like multiple times and there's like slight variations or whatever, it's not really reason to never quote that person again. But right, right. Yeah. And that's part of what makes it um a makes it fairly convincing because you expect to see minor inconsistencies, but like the major overarching story is consistent. That's right. what you expect to see when you're investigating something like that. I think there's a dude cold case for Christianity or something like that, that he kind of goes over some of that stuff. I've read some stuff by him, but I don't think I've read that book fully. Um, but um yeah, so let's see here. Okay, I think I think the second part of my point here is um here in a second. But on the topic, I'll do it real fast. 
There we go. Sorry about that. All right, here we go. But Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of Yahuwah, went to the high priest and asked him for the letters of the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? By the way, um, oh, point number two is that people think that Paul's name was changed from Saul to Paul, uh, similar to Abraham and Sarah and things like that, but that's not the case. He just stopped calling himself Saul and started calling himself Paul with no real explanation as to why. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Adonai? And he said, oops, didn't mean to minimize that, but uh, no, I do. I think that's all he does on point two. So I wanted to go ahead and say something about that real quick. Do you have any thoughts on point two before I share mine? Or? No, you can go ahead. It's probably going to be I'm thinking too. Okay, I, I imagine so. So this is another ad hominem argument. It's going after his like this weird attack on his personal character. Like Paul changed his name, therefore, like that's not in that that seriously I I can't even comprehend why that would matter unless unless I would say if you are um it, like okay so yeah i wrote here like would you condemn a messianic i don't know you guys have probably met plenty of messianics that have changed their name right. after coming to faith i get that i i mean i don't do it but it floats their boat so go for it man uh but uh, or those who legally change their name for personal reasons i mean like so the only way i could see this is the uh, i wrote i can only see uh, those with the strangest melding of the belief that God forces every details of detail of one's life in line with some sort of hyper hyper Calvinism melded with the belief that God somehow does not control one's life having an issue with this. Like that's the only way I can see somebody having an issue is if like God is somehow absolutely forcing everyone, but at the same time, like he's completely going against i i, I don't right. know i just and that's the only way i could make sense of it but. i mean there's this whole thing like well he's not really changing his own name it doesn't really say that he did that it's just people called him paul you know one is his hebrew name one is his greek name right that could be the case and if you're going to change your name he changed it to little i mean it, it, the whole argument he's making is like he's arrogant later on it's like so he changed his name right. to humble or little maybe he's trying to you know, give himself a humble award or something, brag about his humility, but little, right. I mean, would you name right. yourself little? I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. Right. Yeah. So yeah, overall, very strange point. So. Said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who are traveling with him stood speechless hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So here's some of those details that just don't add up with the other accounts. Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Um, let's see. Let's look at the other one. Let's pull up another example. Okay, here we go. Is this the one where he reads the wrong 
As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Adonai? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. So there again, a different, a different story as to what actually occurred on the road to Damascus. So I know that's that might not be like the nail in the coffin for for most people, but it's just uh, he's right about that. For me, I I to be honest, like what John said earlier, still applies here, uh, variations and whatnot. But to me, it's just different details being included. I I see this is to me this is a false dilemma. It's right. uh, again right. implying you know this says something different than this. Therefore, they must be conflicting. That is not always the case. Right. There is definitely a way to square all of these because, you know, right. they're not seeing the individual. They're just seeing the light here. So there's no contradiction. And, you know, right. they can hear the voice like Paul Paul and then not hear the rest of what was spoken or something like that. I mean. Yeah, so. I, I just I, I mean, yeah, I, I just I'm having a hard time following him on that one but. changed his own name no one else did he did it himself he just started it just said saul saul who went by paul and then from then on he just started calling himself paul all right paul doesn't meet the criteria for apostleship according to the book of acts if you go to acts chapter 1 21 through 22 It gives some of the criteria for being an apostle. And one of them was so that they had accompanied Messiah during his life. One of the men who have accompanied us during all that time that the Messiah, Yahusha, went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So as you guys recall, um, after Judas died, they replaced him with Matthias, who was one of the disciples who actually walked with Messiah from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from them. That was the requirement that they said uh, existed for becoming an apostle. Uh, so just based simply on that alone, Paul doesn't meet that criteria. He was not a follower, follower of Messiah at all. Um, and therefore, he wasn't with him during any length of time at all, period. Um, he So he doesn't meet the criteria. Okay, so like, I kind of get where he's coming from on this one. This is one of the points where I actually can't understand, like, what he's saying here. But the thing is, like, he just said he wasn't with the Messiah, but uh, supposedly somebody figured out that he technically was in the city at the same time, but all that apart, he did have a experience where he encountered the Messiah and he did not meet the requirements needed for a, uh, one of the original apostles. And I, I'm I do believe that we do not have apostolic authority anymore in that way. Um, so don't get me wrong there, but, um, but like I, he didn't meet the criteria for a regular apostle, but he obviously met the criteria enough, enough criteria with that, uh, you know, experience where he 
encountered Messiah, that he did meet the requirement for a related office, which does not imply an inferior office or a office that we can all have nowadays. It does not imply any of those things, but it is a related office that he met the criteria for the apostle unto the Gentiles. So I, I don't know. I, I'm just right. That that initial criteria was for filling the spot of Judas specifically. Like there's the twelve apostles, and then there are apostle. Apostle just means sent. Like you're you're on a mission. It right. could be from Messiah, or it could even be from the apostles. You're just sent by somebody. And we have an account in Acts, which I don't think we mentioned earlier, but um, there's a problem there if you're using Acts to to prove your own points because you have to throw out Acts. But anyway, right. so that whole idea that Christ did send him. Messiah sent Saul to the Gentiles. So that by definition makes him a sent one or an apostle. He just doesn't meet the criteria of being one of the 12, obviously. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So that there's definitely, and there's, I, there's enough alternative explanations that I, I don't personally agree with, but I, there's enough of them that this is really, again, a non-argument. This is kind of just like, I don't know. It just doesn't feel, for somebody who's supposedly researched this for two years, which actually I say supposedly, but I'm not doubting that. Excuse me. Uh, that just doesn't seem thorough enough. Like, right. like he already had an idea of what he wanted to believe when he was going into it. He, he had a presupposition that he was verif trying to verify with scripture. That's, that's just what comes off as to me. And that might not be the case, but that's definitely, so you know, if you are listening to this at any point, that is what's coming off as. But. And like the whole notion about there being more apostles than the 12 is like confirmed we have other accounts of Paul referring to other individuals as apostles. And then we have the whole revelation thing, which he already referred to as they're identifying false apostles. Well, if there's only 12, it would be pretty easy to identify whether or not someone was one of those people. Right. Right. Know? Yeah. So there's, it, it's there's two different. Yeah, there is definitely, there's clearly, two different types of apostle being talked about and uh, whether or not Paul's, Paul's apostleship definitely seems different from the type of apostleship that we all have. Uh, it seems slightly different, but maybe closer to what the disciples had. Um, but it, either way you sliced it, there is clearly no matter what you believe, there's clearly more than one type of apostle in scripture. It, it's, but. Do you want to talk about what he actually believes is canon? Cause it's kind of a spoiler alert for the uh, next video, but. Um, right. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So like, basically he's throwing out Paul, obviously. So, but then what do you do with Acts? Because Acts is written by Luke and Acts confirms Paul's apostleship. I mean, clearly. So 
the question is what my question watching his first video was what is he going to do with acts because he's using acts to come up with a lot of his points mm -hmm. but then other times he obviously denies the validity of it right. so spoiler alert he is suggesting throwing out acts and because it was written by luke you kind of have to throw out luke's gospel too because he he's not credible right. um and so you throw out paul and acts and luke and you know he hasn't thrown out hebrews yet um because it's questionable as to whether or not that was written by paul um and i'll mention that once he gets to one of his other points too but that's Which, canon is the, the three gospels the letters of peter well one letter of peter i was about to say yeah, yeah. and then the letters of john revelation jude i think that's it right james right. yeah yeah um and yeah he he rejects second peter he affirms first peter rejects second peter uh the, and the thing with hebrews is also funny because if we're speaking historically here Paul's letters and stuff were accepted as canon almost like right off the bat. The, the letter that took the longest to be accepted as scripture was Hebrews. Hebrews took, we, it wasn't accepted as scripture until um, much, I, I, I don't know exactly how long after I actually, uh, I should look into that, but it was, it was accepted the latest of all the books but and the whole thing about second peter is yes it is one of the most contested canon canonized books of the new testament as far as scholars go but there's a super good article on defending the validity of second peter which i'll link in the description as well if you don't see it there um, shoot me a message but uh, the thing about second peter is that it confirms Paul's apostleship. It says, you know, they twist Paul's letters to their own destruction. And, oh, as they, he says, they twist Paul's words as they do the other scriptures, meaning his words are scriptures, but it says to their own destruction. So, I mean, you kind of have to throw out Second Peter if you're throwing out Paul. So right. Kind of yeah. forced his hand there. But. No, for sure. For sure. And the mainly the scholars who reject second peter as being written by peter is actually secular scholars right uh main like there is a small minority of actual christians who reject it as being written by peter but overall you'll find mostly that he is siding with uh secular atheists um and islamic scholars on this yeah, one so exactly but he won't mention that part. Right, right, yeah. Terio to be called, by definition, an apostle, someone who was with the Messiah, because he was not with the Messiah. Um, and again, this ties in later to some of the other points we have about uh, New Jerusalem. For example, we'll find out later, uh, there's only 12 foundations on New Jerusalem, and each of the 12 foundations have the names of the 12 disciples written on them. So uh, where's Paul's 13th foundation? Same with the gates. There's only 12 gates leading into New Jerusalem. 
Where's Paul's? And there's Paul. There's only 12. 12 is a prophetic number of scripture used all throughout scripture as a common thread. 13 is not. Some, some have tried to argue that uh, Joseph... Are you wanting to say a bit more about that? or No, I mean, the 12 gates aren't named after the apostles. The foundations are, but the gates, right. I believe, are of the, the 12 tribes. Um, tribes. Yeah, so he would go in the Benjamin gate because he's a Benjamite. Um, and I just lost my thought on something else, but it doesn't matter. Right. Being sold into slavery and then being replaced by Benjamin is like that, but not true. Joseph was an archetype of the Messiah. Joseph was a foreshadowing of the Messiah. So what it would have actually been, oh, Joseph and his 12 brothers. Real quick. <laughs> yeah, again, no one is saying that he's he should be included in that number uh like we're not saying that there should be 13 it's like right there's 12 and then there's the other apostles that aren't the 12 yeah the apostle yeah. and yeah right the messiah and his 12 apostles so it wasn't a 13th um in that situation either okay so paul claims the title of apostle to the gentiles a role that was given explicitly to Peter. So let's pull that up. He says that he's the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, I don't think so. Spoiler alert, it doesn't, it's not very explicit. But. Let's see. Uh, where is it at? This is where Paul says he's apostle to the Gentiles. When they arrived at Salamis, they claimed the word of Elohim in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of Elohim. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, there is a switch of the name there, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of Elohim? I wish he would take his own advice. And now behold, the hand of Yahuwah is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking. I get what he's saying there, but I, I can't help but laugh because it's it's kind of it's it's kind of funny. Unless you reject, if you reject Paul, then I suppose it'd be kind of sobering. But uh, if you do not reject Paul, it's just it's kind of funny that uh, I wish you'd take his own advice. But, <laughs> yeah. People to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of Elohim. Uh, with, where am I? Hang one second here. We don't know where he's going Not with him. this, and he doesn't seem to either. But Are we at the 44 mark yet? Wrong one here. Uh, we're at 37. Okay. Again. I'm going to skip until he finally finds uh, Galatians 2 later on. So this is where Peter has his vision, right? You guys remember this story? Peter's vision? In this story, again, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you just because it's, it's too long. Um, but in Peter's vision, he was shown that he should go to the Gentiles 
And in fact, after he received this vision, some men came to receive him who were also sent by uh, the Most High. And those men were Gentiles, and Peter accepted them and started to preach to the Gentiles, specifically because he had a vision telling him to go and preach to the Gentiles. Um, so, but then you go over to Galatians 2, 7 through 8, where Paul says that the gospel of the circumcision was for Peter, which is to the Jews, and the gospel of the uncircumcision, the Gentiles, was his. So um, this, is, this is it right here. But Peter specifically was given a vision by the Most High, showing him that he should go to the Gentiles. Um, and of course, uh, even, even Paul's teaching about uh, how he rebuked Peter to his face, which we'll get into later, um, which is unbiblical, by the way, to write about to... Does he not read through the vision? Um, I can't remember. But I do have a couple of points. Like one, he's using acts to create, to form one of his points, which he doesn't believe is scripture. So right. <laughs> nowhere else does God give Peter the, um, the ministry to the Gentiles quote, supposedly, which he doesn't actually do that. If yeah. Spoiler yeah. alert. He just, it's basically only to Cornelius is who he sent to, which is a Gentile, of course, but he, God never tells him that he's to be specifically an apostle to the Gentiles. And this is one of his big points. Um, yeah. And, and he read that, that Galatians 2 um, verse, but he didn't go back. Um, I can't remember what verse he did read, but in, uh, in verse 9, it says, James, Cephas, and John who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So Peter, according to Paul, of course, but Peter allowed him to go out as an apostle to the Gentiles and them to the circumcision. So it, the whole idea that he's using Galatians to say that Paul stole this this ministry, it's like, well, it kind of falls on its face when you realize right. Peter agreed. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, a, this is also not only a false premise, but another uh, false dilemma here because, like, I don't want to sound too sarcastic here, but I did miss the verse where it said, you know, uh, you're an apostle to the Gentiles this is an exclusive license. All right. I, I mean, like even, yeah. I just, all those I, nations, 70 nations out there, we just need one guy. I mean, that's, exactly. that's really all. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And you, you've been granted an exclusive license. You have full rights to sue anyone who so claims to be an apostle unto the Gentiles. But uh, no, I, I just, uh, he uses the false dilemmas like it's his job, which it might be. I don't know. I don't know what his, uh, technical title is he might be the man with the false dilemmas for all i know but i just i i it it just it blows my mind but anyway you have any other thoughts on that but um no when he gets into acts 15 i have a point but okay okay yeah and i think we need to at least take a break here in a minute five minutes later all right so yeah so 
Um, we very much appreciate you guys joining us this time. I don't know. I actually don't remember because we took a break and then decided we'd go ahead and just come back some other time to record a second part. But um, uh, hopefully we didn't leave you off with too much of a cliffhanger, but uh, we will hopefully be coming back here pretty soon, I think. Uh, the goal, I think, is to start trying to push out more content like this over time. I think that's kind of what we're wanting to do. I think John has something else he wants to do, another video on refuting someone or something like that. But Flat Earthers, right, which flat I earthers. think Jacob Best is. I thought I saw him, Rob oh, Skeeb no. on one of the... Uh, uh, it might have been Parable of the Vineyard or something, but right. Yeah. Okay. Not okay. Sure, gotcha. Yeah, I do know they they're definitely flat earthers in their book of. I don't know. I need to look better. I know they uphold Book of Enoch pretty heavily. Yeah, it looks like uh, a lot of their content is like extra biblical. Well, what they, you know, yeah. deuterocanonical books like Enoch and Jubilees, Jubilees, Jasher. Yeah. So. Yeah, they're big fans of that. Yeah, which I'm not as familiar with those except for Enoch, but right. But yeah, so anyway, uh, uh yeah, we definitely appreciate you guys tuning in for our first ever video series. And I don't know, honestly, this may be a proper video series because it's looking like this may be <laughs> like four parts or something like that right. um but hopefully this is a i think the goal here is to be as thorough as possible plenty of people have pumped out one hour um refutations of it i've seen who knows how many that clock in at like 30 minutes to an hour and a half or something so hopefully um i hopefully people will get even more out of delving into this and going point by point, letting him talk out his points and us responding to him. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, we definitely appreciate you guys tuning in and uh, we'll see you next time.